What's up guys, John John the Wise here. Now before we start this show today, just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a warning. Today I have my f best friend Arnog on, and he uses a little bit of colorful language, and that's because he is a zebra. He is an animal that cannot be tamed, he is a wild animal, and that's exactly why I love him. He's chaos incarnate. And he uses a little bit of colorful language, nothing that you're not used to if you haven't seen an R-rated movie. But nevertheless, wanted to give you guys a warning in case you're at work. Make sure you have headphones on. Make sure that you're in an area where you can listen to some cursing out loud or on your headphones. So just wanted to give you guys a warning. Now, enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Tabletop Cyberpunk, the podcast about Cyberpunk 2020 and Red, the tabletop games and everything in between. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. It has been a while since I've done one of these regular podcasts, like an actual regular podcast. It's not Night City Council. It's not any of that other stuff. And today... I have a very special guest with me. I have my good friend, Arnog. Arnog, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, Arnog. Uh, I hope that everything is going perfect in your life. Everything is just fine. Likewise. Awesome. That's great. Arnog, for those of you that don't know, got me into Cyberpunk 2020. He was my friend. He was my guide. He was the guy that showed me this whole world of tabletop RPGs. It was just me and him hanging out, playing one-on-one -on -one for a, about a year, right? We played for like a year. I don't remember. Yeah, who knows? It was so long ago. But uh, that was the genesis of my love for Cyberpunk is with Arnog. But before we get deep into it, Arnog, I would like our listeners to know to make sure to go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash johnjohnthewise, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, follow me on social media, and if you guys want to support and show some love, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash John John the Wise is the best place to go to support my channel. And thank you. Thank you all for all your support and love. Whether you subscribe to this podcast, like a video, follow me on whatever you do. I really appreciate all the support and positivity. So thank you all for doing that. Now, Arnog, on to the important stuff today. Are you ready? Go. This is uh, your first time doing like a podcast podcast from your room, right? Yes. Well, you're, I, I wanted to introduce you to this podcast world because I think you got a voice for it. Really? Yeah, of course. I really do. I think you have a good narration voice. And uh, I think the podcast world is just waiting for you. So for our listeners, we're probably going to be doing this a lot more often. And one of... Arnog and I's favorite thing to do is just sit down and theory craft, basically, of worlds or stuff that inspires us. And um, you know what I'm talking about, Arnog? Essentially, uh, building the world, uh, building, uh, let's say, what the government is like, what the culture and the subcultures are like, what uh, people that you're going to come across, what they're going to be like, things like that. Am I understanding correctly? Yep, exactly. That's the stuff that we literally can s sit down and talk hours upon hours about, which I don't know if I can do that with a lot of people. Those are usually the people that I have the most fun with. If we can just sit down, 
drink some sake and talk about how we would create our little our little role-playing worlds right that's something that i really like to do so that's what we're going to do today today we're going to talk about crafting npcs and just crafting people in general that are within your cyberpunk world arnog is the first game master that i played under and he has taught me to always be writing your own story in fact when was the first time you heard about a module arnog what the hell's a module (laughs) this is what i'm talking about guys a module is like those pre-made adventures Oh, yeah. Um, I actually never read any of those in depth. Um, I started... The first game I ever played was um, Symbieta's Robotech RPG. And there were a few um, adventure adventure books or adventure stories or whatever the fuck they were called. And I never read them in depth because they it didn't interest me. Um, I also found a few for Rifts, of course. And and there were some for Cyberpunk too, and I never read them because I, it it didn't appeal to me. It was just a lot of reading for something that I had absolutely no interest in. What do I need another person's ideas for an adventure? That's my first. That's my first point. Second, uh, it, this information is open to everybody, including the players. So if I'm using one of them, then the players can easily know. Uh, all they got to do is read it and know exactly what's going to happen. It robs the suspense and it robs it robs from the game, you know, uh, surprises stories and not knowing what's going to happen. That's one of the, um, as you know, that's one of the most important aspects of, of any game, just as it is for, let's say, a TV show or a movie. If there's a TV show, you really like it and you just read a synopsis, a, a detailed synopsis, what's going to happen in the next uh, season well, then you're not going to want to watch it or it's going to be lower on your priority. You're not going to have as much fun. You know what's going to happen. So that's why I, I absolutely don't bother with those. I don't read them. I don't even read them for ideas. I get my ideas from other sources. That's understandable. And uh, I actually shared your views basically for a really long time. But I, then I started reading some of these modules and they did inspire me. There was no doubt about it. As soon as I read like how people even just how they structure their adventures, like beginning, middle, end, what happens in between and, and stuff like that. And then I've read other modules where they like hold your hand too much. I think like, you know, we're playing the module and that's it. There's no creativity. Uh, It's like a board game basically is, is how it goes down. But I'm, I'm with you. Basically I want to surprise my players and know that they have a handcrafted experience an experience that is dedicated to their characters, dedicated to the setting, and something that they that will always be a unique experience to them. But on the flip side of that, that puts a lot of pressure on the game master to to basically come through with something good. One thing that I have to say about pressure is some it makes some people focus and it makes other people fold. So I can, I like the pressure when it comes to something that I, I happen to like, like writing. I like that pressure. Pressure makes me focus. It makes me think outside the box. It makes me think outside of my limitations. It makes me come up with ideas that I've never thought of before. 
Um, and it can come to me when I'm drunk or it can come to me when I'm having a tea and a smoke on my balcony. It can come to me in my shower. Um, I just think about it uh, habitually. I don't have to force it. It, it doesn't feel stressed. Um, and that's uh, uh, keeping with the, with the theme and the subject of what you're talking about. I find that when someone who's trying to work creatively, which is something I've been doing since I was a child, when you're trying to work creatively, if you're, if you're forcing it, it's going to come out like shit. But if you're just relaxed and you just let ideas come to you because it's something that you like, something that you care about, something that your mind gravitates toward throughout the day, maybe not exclusively, but it does, um, you will come up with, with um, good ideas and you'll only get better from there. I, that's my experience anyway. I'm, I'm talking from my personal experience. Yeah, of course. And that's all we can do is talk from our personal experience. And um, I'm with you. The shower thoughts are a big one. When you're in the shower, you get an idea. Um, one of my favorite inspirations is when the players give you inspiration. You know, you have like something planned. You're like a general idea of what's going to happen. And then they offer you something that you didn't even think about. And next thing you know, that's all that matters to you. You're like, oh, my God, I can't wait for this to pay off. They have no idea that they just gave me the seed for this thing to happen. You know what I mean? I do, which is why I always say never volunteer information. Oh, yeah, that's right. You do always say that. Uh, tell me more about that, because I, I think I disagree wholeheartedly with you on this. Well, in what context are you talking about when it comes to don't volunteer information? Well, are you saying from the player's perspective or are you saying this from the game master's perspective? Because I've heard you say it from the game master's perspective. The players are obligated to, I, I consider the players to be obligated to um, volunteer information to the referee. Because if you're thinking or doing something as a player, the referee has to know what you're doing because what your players, your players are part of his world. It's the referee's world. He owns it. So anything that happens, he has to know. So if you have, let's say if you have a plan in mind, you don't necessarily have to tell um, the referee. But if you're doing something or um, if you're, I don't know, uh, essentially any action that you take, uh, you have to volunteer that information to the referee, of course. When I say don't volunteer information, Paramount is, I'm referring to the referee. Referees do not volunteer information to the players. You only tell the players what their characters know. That is it. The characters don't know what hit points are. So if they're asking questions like, how many hit points does my opponent have left? You don't know. You could take it a step further as a, as a referee, and you could personally have a chart in front of you, whether it's on your laptop or whatever, and you're keeping track of how much stopping power or, or whatever uh, their armor has. So when they ask you how, many, uh, how much stopping power is left in my armor, you don't know. You look at your armor, it's fucked up. It has rounds in it. It's shredded. You can describe it. But player, I mean, uh, characters don't know what points are. Ergo, the players are not meant to know what points are. Yeah, you know? I, I agree with you on that point. I don't. I usually never tell my players about 
any hit points or any kind of armor values and stuff like that because like you said there's no hit points in real life but i will offer information that i think their character would already know like if there's a famous bar in dallas in this in central dallas where the corporates hang out and this guy works with corporates all the time in dallas his character knows what that bar is whether we put that on his character sheet or not you know what i mean that is that is correct like i said if your player if your character knows it the player knows it if the if the if the character doesn't know it if the character the character doesn't know the difference between an npc and a player character for instance they don't know what the fuck an npc is no they're meant to just react to the world around them yeah exactly and bringing it back to our topic when we talk about crafting npcs what we're really talking about is giving players the opportunity to have a immersive experience and interact with people within this world. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. So tell me uh, some of your ideas on how you craft friendly NPCs. These are these guys can be guides, they can be allies. What are you looking for in the way they behave? And, and then we'll talk about how you do their stats. You're referring specifically to cyberpunk, correct? Yes, sir. The cyberpunk world, uh, the way that I've built it is it's an overpopulated, dangerous, violent world where many people have to uh, resort to crime just to get by financially. Um, They're typically being hunted by law enforcement or rivals or both. So... When when it comes to friendly NPCs, initially there's really no such thing. NPCs uh, they that potentially can become friendly. They um. But, but you don't you don't ever give like a friend that. I've, yeah, you have. I've played your games. You've had some guy that uh, Marcus's partner. Remember, Benny. Yeah, Marcus's partner when they were Marcus is a lawman character of mine from Cyberpunk 2020. Marcus's character uh, uh his his partner Benny, him and Marcus were pretty buddy buddy, you know what I mean? They weren't like going to introduce each other to their family members or anything like that, but when it came to working together, they were in it corrupt together, you know what I mean? John uh Sheng Sheng Del Toro, that's Benny. He was not your friend. This was a, a strictly a business, uh, a, a business relationship that you guys had, and you just happened to get along a, along the way. But I mean, the guy could, if Blondie, um, the one over him, what the hell was her name? I forget her name. But if Blondie contacted Benny and said, "Hey, Marcus is fucking up," uh. You know, things are looking bad. Go whack them. Got, yeah. Benny would, would call you up or whatever. You guys are going to he- head on down. Uh, and, and, you know, you guys are going to do your patrol. Benny would set it up to where a uh, place is going to get robbed. You guys respond to the call. And when you show up, you're meant to get killed. So Benny was not your friend. Okay, he, fair he, enough. So this was a This was a business relationship. But I did feel like even though Benny would do that, that's kind of the live by the sword, die by the sword kind of thing. That's not even personal if Benny did something like that. 
Correct. That, that's why it's a person. That's why it's it's not a personal relationship. It's a business relationship that you guys had. Right. So, but he was still an allied NPC when it came down to it. If there was another faction that is a third party to the lawman force, they did like not even a cop, just another person. Unless Benny knew this person or what, he would come to Marcus's aid, right? Obviously, yeah, because you guys have a business relationship going. And as long as that business relationship goes well, then yeah, of course. But um, like I said, it's, it's dangerous to consider people in cyberpunk your friend. Because they'll, uh, a lot of them, if not all of them, will stab you in the back if the if the stakes are high enough again this is how i run the world yeah to reiterate it's an overpopulated dangerous world um so it, it's not as simple as this npc it's not as simple as figuring that one npc is your friend and that this npc is going to go to the mattresses for you they'll turn their back on you if the, if the stakes are high enough they'll stab you if the stakes are high enough you got to deal with both with both eyes open you got to be careful and I, I said it before, your worst murderers come to you with smiles and handshakes. Watch out. Yeah, see, maybe I like exploring the genuine friend angle, because when that genuine friend, something happens to them, it means something. You know what I mean? I leave that, I leave that seed where you get attached to this NPC, you get attached to them, especially if they're part of your backstory. And basically... I give the opportunity that something will happen to this person, and that's like a fun thing to explore, even though it sounds fucked up. I had something like that um, back in the old game group. Um, one of the characters was, uh, I think he was, uh, yeah, 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 he was part of the Scatalia family, the Italian mob. And uh, there was uh, one of the lieutenants who pulled his balls out of the fire. I'm not going to go into, into detail, but he saved his life. Then, sometime later, the bosses... Actually, we didn't even make it this far because one of the players was an asshole. <laughs> but uh, what was meant to happen was the bosses were going to tell the player character whose life got saved that he has, to, he has to kill that guy, the guy who saved him. And he doesn't have a... Obviously, he doesn't have a choice in the matter. He has to do it. He has to murder a man who saved his life. Oh, wow. Uh, and the reason why is because he was he was doing certain business that he was not supposed to be doing. And the bosses are, are the bosses don't allow that, and it's a one strike and you're out rule. And you know with this with this specific business, I'm not going to say what it is, because that you know I I, I don't want to give all my ideas and, and my stories, but suffice it to say he was doing something he was not supposed to be doing. That's a one two. That's a strike one two three and you're out. Mm -hmm. There's no warning here. Everybody knows you're not supposed to do the business that he was doing, no matter what. So that became, that was going to be, excuse me, that was going to be uh, part of the story where the main character had to kill someone that he was allied to, to essentially be what you never thought you would be, a backstabber. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't um, Wild Bloods, uh, in the alternate universe, one of, your, one of Arnok's characters, Wild Blood, was in prison and killed his cellmate, right? That was his friend? His childhood friend. Yeah. What happened was Blood was set up and um, he was arrested for... Because, uh, he was arrested on, uh, on a self-defense, but his, his, 
his self-defense was far too violent. So him and his best friend from his childhood, they were arrested. And the judge, he got, he got his uh, palm greased. He took a bribe. So he gave them the maximum sentence, even though it was, it was proven to be self-defense. Mm-hmm. And his, um, uh, Blood's best friend, Vic, Victor, um, he didn't want to spend like eight years in prison. So he was going to turn, he was, yeah, he was uh, turning states, states witness. And mm. uh, the, the bosses from Blood's gang, they found out about it. They have an inside guy. And they told, uh, they sent a message to Blood telling him that Victor, not only is he going to drop a dime on Blood, to which Blood killed a minor. He was, uh, when, when Blood was 18, he killed a 16-year-old rival gang member. Uh. Not, on, not only that, and that's going to put him away for a long fucking time. Yeah. Not only that, but um, uh, Victor was also going to drop a dime on, uh, on some of the higher-ups in the gang as well. So he's doing a big plea bargain so he can get out of prison as fast as possible and get himself into WITSEC. And he's essentially uh, ditching Wild Blood while he's at it. You understand what I mean? He's not killing Wild Blood. But blood is gonna be in there for at least twenty years, twenty additional years. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be a grown ass man, and is and he's gonna be a middle aged man by the time he gets out, no parole. Um, and once blood caught wind of this, once the bosses sent him uh, the information, they sent him the orders. Blood had absolutely no choice. He went to uh, Victor's cell, and I mean, these guys they'd fight for each other. They would defend each other, protect each other. They were. They were like brothers, and Blood uh, went to his cell, and when uh, Victor got up to take a shit, Blood took his shiv, and he buried it into his brainstem. After that, he took his, uh, his dog tags, and he still carries those dog tags with him till this day, and he has nightmares about it. He can't forgive himself for what he did. And what is uh, Wild Blood's new, new nickname now? Well, it's not a nickname. It's a uh, it's a fake name, because he didn't he didn't have a real name. He was an orphan as a kid. His parents were killed when he was very. Oh no! Old. I was talking about what the streets are naming him now because of what he did. A friend, something. Oh no 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 no! They called him a buddy fucker. That's not his nickname. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a term. Yeah. Uh, buddy fucker, but um, <clears throat> blood. He he. Uh, he survived long enough for uh, one of the bosses in the, in the prison, AJ, AJ Arizona, or AJ from Arizona. AJ found out about what happened, and then he instantly put a red light on, on Wild Blood, went and talked to him, and he said, you know, I, I, understand, I know why you did what you did. And uh, he started grooming him into becoming a hitter for him, and that became a really good business relationship. Yeah, so when Blood got out, he had a job right away wouldn't exactly call it a job um he had an arm around him so aj he has contacts outside but of course blood has to pull pull his weight um he's gotta he's gotta do um he's gotta do work for aj or you know any whatever whatever friends aj has he has to do some work for them but in in exchange he also has he has he has good contacts he has good connections so in a sense having a friend that you could trust the childhood friends added a lot of depth to your character Yes, it did. So, you know, maybe you can have friends after all. You just have to kill them. (laughs) (laughs) 
So let's talk about how we would you basically for these allies. How would we give them their stats and skills and and how do we craft that? I usually like to make sure that one NPC follows around the group at one at a given time, depending where they are and what they're doing. And this one NPC has one specialization that the players don't have. Whether it's credentials to get into a building, or this dude's a full-blown net runner and can do some net running for them. That way, this NPC is actually useful, and the players might give this NPC more of a chance. I always make it seem like I'm a used car salesman or something. And I'm like, come on, guys, like this guy. He's nice. He's a net runner. He can help you. And they're like, all right, we'll give him a shot. Just just don't don't be lame. <laughs> so tell me how you how you do something like that. Um the way I do it is always a matter of necessity. It goes both ways. Um I don't I, I it's not my place to convince the players into doing anything at all. If they don't want to give this NPC a chance, that's up to them. Oh yeah, for sure. You got to give them player agency. You can't shove the NPC down their throat. Uh, if they choose not to trust the NPC, that's uh, that's entirely up to them. Uh, but I I think in terms of, you know, do the do the player characters do their homework when it comes to an NPC? Do they trust them immediately, or do they immediately just um, what's the word I'm looking for? Suspect. Discard him. They immediately discard him, immediately mistrust him. It's important to know whom you're working with, and this is true in real life. Um, you can't just work with any two-bit blowjob who comes through uh, through your door. You got to know who this person is. You got to do some. You got to do some research. Find out. Uh, you know what are people? What are people in this business saying about him? Make a couple phone calls. Uh, take a look at his record. Stuff like that. You know, you could be talking to a cop. You could be talking to UC right there, undercover. Yeah. And and that's it. I mean, all it takes is is for you to take on a job. You bring him into it. He gets all the information, and you go down. That's it. You're done. On the flip side, the guy could be a, a completely incompetent fucking moron who could, who could uh, fuck up a cup of coffee. And, again, this is something that you have to know. I personally reward smart gameplay, and that includes... Doing research and knowing whom you're shaking hands with. This is very important to me. So to answer your question, um, to answer your question, which was... What kind of skills and stats do you give NPCs that are going to be allied NPCs? Essentially, if it's integral to the plot, then I give them the stats and the skills that are necessary for the plot. Mm. Um that's uh, that's that's about the gist of it. If I'm going to introduce an NPC, otherwise, um, if it, you know an NPC that's not integral to the plot, then I to me, what's more important than stats and skills, to which I could just roll a D10 down the list and I could just give him a bunch of random random ass skills, or uh, whatever you know, uh, relevant skills that are a bit random, instead of putting real thought into it. Um, then the objective is to make the character is to really breathe this NPC to life, to make the NPC a very memorable character that the players will either be thinking about or talking about after the game. Yeah, that's that's what you usually hope for. And you know, uh, that's uh, that to me is uh, 
a very important aspect of having an NPC that who's going to be reoccurring. I like to give them their own accents, their own tone, tempo, to make it different from my own, from my own voice. Mm-hmm. Like um, there was one uh, Italian mob mob guy, uh, and he was a fence. He was a fence guy, which means that he would you know buy things cheap and then sell them and flip them. And uh, he he was kind of a sickly man. He was a short. He was thin, pale. He had dark circles under his eyes. And he would talk like this. <laughs> and he was very defensive too. One of the one of the players asked him, "Are you okay?" He said, "Fuck the UK." Oh, so he was guarded. He didn't let anybody know what he was thinking. He was always real. To himself and he talked a little slow because he was sick he wasn't he wasn't he was not a well man you know the there's something about uh mistrusting npcs that the players respect they're like okay this guy gets it you know what i mean that's the way it's meant to be and then you and then uh, uh, like i said uh players do not know what an npc um, excuse me uh player characters <laughs> don't know what an NPC is. Likewise, mm-hmm. NPCs don't know what a PC is. They don't know what the fuck an NPC is. They're just characters. They're they're people who respond to the world around them. There was another character that I pulled out of uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, and I made him as charismatic as I as I would hear from the character. I thought he was really funny. The introduction to the character was, "Hey, yo, player, how what's the score? How they hang and all that bullshit." Welcome to Fat Larry's Truck of Mac, where you can get all your needs after 8 o'clock. I'm proprietor and salesman of the month several years in a row. The ladies call me, oh God, but you can call me Fat Larry, and that's with a F-A-T. Because I know I got a weight problem, I just don't give a fuck. Wow, very nice. Nice speech for the players. <laughs> They're like, okay, I like this guy. That's fun. One of my uh, allied NPCs was a driver because... The players, literally none of them took drive, and we didn't have a nomad. So we des- I decided, okay, I'll give them a driver that's, um, you know, okay in combat, but really his skill is driving. And I made sure his personality was just like a smart-ass guy, but goes with, is loyal to the group, basically. And, and it always showed. When the players mistrusted people, he agreed with them and would say, like, yeah, you're right about this guy. If the players wanted to do something, he would say, I'm with you guys, whatever we got to do. But he would still make, like, wisecracking remarks and stuff like that. Unfortunately, that NPC just got killed in combat. And the players basically had to go on without this NPC, had to figure out how to drive out of the scene because he was literally shot up while he was driving and get out of there safely and he was gone forever so sometimes having that allied npc giving them just like a small job and a small quirky part of their personality it ends up the players like take what you give them and they mold it into something else if you give them room for that creativity what you described to me is like a unicorn it's so it's a business partner who actually has some real loyalty toward the group. That's something that I very, very rarely, this is something that's very rare. And if you find it, please hang on to this guy. Um, 
with me, my NPCs, you know, you might call them and they won't pick up. Yeah. They're busy. They have no real obligation toward you. Yeah. Unless they do. Unless uh, you, you make, again, this is up to the players. Unless you actively take steps to make this person a part of the crew and make sure he knows that you're the boss. So if he's not picking up his phone, you drive down to his home. You go, you sneak in. You see he's laying down, he's sleeping. Uh. You call him, you call him again. He looks at, he wakes up, he looks at his phone, puts it down and just doesn't give a shit. Jeez, how much free time do you have to fucking do that? (laughs) Go to someone's window and look at him. I see you there, bitch. Pick up your phone. (laughs) Uh, John, this is you keeping control of your crew and making sure they know who's the boss. Oh, I didn't know you were the boss. Because at this point, because at this point, I would expect that the player walks up next to his bed, puts his gun, puts his pistol next to his head, not, 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 not on it, next to it, and fires off around. The guy's going to freak out and stand up and he's scared. And you tell him, you ever ignore my fucking phone call one more goddamn time and I'll fucking bury you where I find you. Wow, man. And then, and then he's like, okay, well, I can't trust this motherfucker. He breaks into my house and almost tries to kill me in the middle of the night. John, that's fear. That's fear. And fear is a major part of keeping criminals in line. We're not, we're not flipping burgers here, John. The NPCs that you're going to come across are criminals. And criminals are not well known for being loyal. They're not well known for, for being guys who, uh, who are just like hardworking and that, you know, they're, they're criminals for a reason. They're greedy. They're lazy. That's, that's a part of them. You know, they don't care. These are, these are people who are, re- who are, who are counterculture towards things like morality and, and work ethic. They don't have any of that shit. So it's your job to keep them under control. A combination of fear and likability. Well, that's, that's, doesn't, that, doesn't that make it a little bit too one note? Well, that one note is a good one. And that's definitely what cyberpunk is all about. If every ally and NPC has that underlying common denominator where they're all untrusting assholes that basically will turn on you on the drop of a dime, all that is is basically is monotonous. You know what I mean? Sometimes First of all, I didn't say that every one of them are like this. I said that criminals tend to be. Yes. Yeah. Criminals for sure. For sure. But I mean, you know what we're stretching the definition of criminal in cyberpunk because it's like, is it criminal to do some of the things that you do? Yes. But you got to survive. Absolutely. You're playing a criminal. Yeah. But what I'm saying is if an NPC is a part of your crew to which you're the boss, and he's blowing you off after you've taken care of him. Yeah, if you're the if you're the boss, then definitely, definitely, if you're the boss, you have to you have to take care of your dude. I think I lost you, Arnog. Hey, I think I got it. Can yep. you hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. Okay, good. Uh, what the hell? Were, uh, oh yeah, I was talking about the duality of fear and likability, and uh, that's that's uh. uh a powerful means of controlling the people around you, no matter in any context, is the carrot and the stick. Um, it's when it's the guy who, who who will say like, "You do right, I'll treat you right," and he really does. He's generous with rewards. He's got a larger than life personality. He's somebody that you like, uh, somebody that you can actually admire or 
um, someone that you could be in awe of, uh, but or to learn know from, or or learn from. But it's also someone you know you cannot fuck with. On the flip side, if you if you feel that your character can't or that you as a player can't run a crew, then just don't then just don't build a crew. Then uh, if the guy doesn't pick up his phone, fuck him. Find somebody else. That's what Streetwise is for. Yeah. Hit the streets and find someone else. Yeah, you have to. You can't. The business doesn't end. The you got to make your money. Business don't stop. Uh, don't stop. There are no brakes on this train. If one guy doesn't pick up the phone, whatever, then he misses out. Find somebody else and cut him in instead. So why don't we talk about corporate? Because basically we've been doing the focus of criminals and supposing that they're either edge runners or boosters or something ex-military, solos, you name it. That's usually what you think of when you talk about NPCs, but there's always that corporate. There's a corporate that is the biggest snake of them all, is the one that you can't trust, and this person behaves completely differently. They're about that high life, that high fashion. They gotta they may they worry about more things than the average edge runner because they have reputations to uphold and stuff like that. You could do that with any role. You could do that with a nomad. You could have a nomad who's a total backstabber. He doesn't care about you. He only cares about his pack. Yeah, definitely. The The idea of corporates are that they are so married to their faction, and their faction is so much about of their identity that even when you work with them, you know that in the back of your mind that you can never trust them because they'll never be more loyal to you than they are to their corporation. They are not loyal to their corporation. That, again, this is how I run things. They're not loyal to their corporation. They're loyal to their bank accounts. That's what they're in it for. How do you think they got to where they got? And personal they safety. Their... They want that picket fence in the corp zone. Which, uh, which they could get from another corporation just as easily. Yeah, I mean, but the idea is that they sign on the dotted line and they give their soul away. And just imagine why someone would do that. They obviously feel like this is who they are, this is their identity, and this is the only salvation that they have. Could be. But my rendition of corporates is that they didn't get up top by playing nice or playing by the rules these are guys who will stab they will stab their co-workers in the back they'll stab their 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 boss in the back they'll uh spread rumors they'll um they'll uh try to sabotage um they'll try to sabotage their boss the the guy who, you know the, the man who's the floor above them they'll they'll even sell out their division or their their whole corporation to another one while bartering for a better deal. Yeah, they're, that's what I mean by them being like such snakes because they're even their biggest enemies are the ones that are in the same office building as them. Yeah, the guy who's a floor below or above you, that's your worst enemy. Exactly. And if you make too much of a splash, then maybe two floors above you is like, hey, we better nip this in the bud now before this guy gets too big for his britches. First, uh, in uh, in my mind, in the way that I do it, um, the first reaction that corporates have towards those who may potentially be a threat under them is not to kill them. 
because they're again they're corporates and yeah. corporates think in resources well if someone is a resource to you why get rid of it yeah killing someone's kind of messy too like if a person can be can be put to use for your benefit why kill them yeah they could be an asset for sure if you could turn them towards you and so maybe the smarter ones will seize that opportunity and find a way to more efficiently backstab the person above them. Well, I uh, sorry, John. I didn't. I heard you, but I didn't quite understand. Would you mind saying that one more time? Um, hold on. Sorry, my dog just walked in for a second, uh, and I lost my train of thought. What I mean to say is, uh, those corporates sometimes they can be an asset, and a smart lower level corporate will be thinking about, oh, let me make sure my enemies are closer, seize the opportunity start working under this other guy and try to concoct the plan to backstab them. Of course, that's uh, that's a scenario that I'm sure has happened many times. Oh, yeah. But um, there's a quote that I always remember from Cyberpunk 2020, the original, that, that uh, reflects what I was just talking about, is instead of killing someone, is instead making them an asset because... Uh, again, that's how corporates think. They ter- they think in terms of asset, what someone can do for me, what th- what an uh, what an item, an object, a land, money, what these things can information, what these things can do for me to produce for me, and uh, the best people are those who are manipulated into working for the corporate in question without them even knowing it. Um, Essentially being like their property. And that quote that I was mentioning is, we own you, Bannon, body and soul. We don't care how much metal you have on you, and we don't care how many friends you can call on. When we call you, you better come running. And you better hope we don't have to come find you because you're corporate property and your company property, and we can do whatever we want with you. Yeah, that's that's definitely a scenario that a lot of corporates have seen themselves in. That's what I mean when... I say that they sign on the dotted line and they give their soul away. It's it's because they have hope. They have a dream that they don't have to live like the scum in Night City or like those solos that basically had a traumatic childhood and had to figure out how to survive on their own. They're, they're too soft for that. So they just take the easy route, and I'm saying easy with air quotes, and they just start working for a corporation put microchips in their arms and then, you know, change their Facebook profile and their LinkedIn profile to say, I work at Biotechnica, a junior executive, Biotechnica, and uh, it, it becomes a part of their entire life. Beware the free lunch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, hidden costs when it comes to corporations are double. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's talk about bad guys so we talked about allies and people that you can and can't trust and let's just talk about people that are that deserve to die by your characters and your characters are hunting or you know etc etc when it when it comes to bad guys for me there's always there's like a spectrum of them there's the there's the low level guy that is barking up the wrong tree and the players have a good time killing. And then from there, I build upon that. 
and I think, okay, well, this next guy, I want him to be more powerful than that low-level guy. So I'm going to give him a little bit something extra. Maybe he has more goons with him, better cyberware, better armor, better weaponry. And above all else, maybe he has even a better reputation than the past NPCs. So this is someone that you can't just readily kill because you have to get more information. You know, you might be in a territory where that kind of behavior is is not looked well upon, depending where you are. And then finally, at the end of the spectrum, is the big, big bad guy. And this guy doesn't necessarily have to be like cyber psycho powerful, but he has to have some kind of powerful influence, whether it's physical with guns and cyberware and weaponry, or if he can literally pick up a phone call and have C-SWAT come knock on your door. Sorry, my cat wanted to play with me for a minute. That's okay. My dog's doing the same thing. Uh, well, let's see here. Um, as for graduating from a low-level uh, antagonist NPC to a mid-level one, you could always... Uh, you could always do um, familiarity between the antagonist NPCs. I'll tell you a, a story. There was uh, uh, an Italian mob guy. He's he's out of it. He's been out of it for a long time. And he would tell you know he would tell his uh, experiences. He said one time he was at a club, and there was some guy and he was being an asshole. So he beat the shit out of him. He, he had he it coming, right? Him. Yeah. He, he says he didn't spit on him. He didn't hit him when he was down or anything like that. But then one night he gets a phone call from uh, from one of the local bosses, who, who or I'm sorry, from his boss, who told him to come down to um, to the bar or whatever, wherever the fuck they were. So he doesn't know what this is about. He just shows up, and he said that he saw Sammy outside. And yeah, that's Sammy the Bull Gravano. He goes in, and. Uh, there's another boss, and they're talking, and you know, they're saying, they're asking him, You got in a fight? Yeah, I got in a fight. He says, Do you know who that guy was? No, I don't know who he was. He was uh, this boss's cousin. And, the, the, you know, his cousin wants you dead. And he thought that was really extreme. But his boss said, If anything happens to him, I go to war. Wow. And that was the end of it. It got squashed the same night. Because he's not gonna, the, the other guy's not gonna risk going to war. Not just because, why? Because his fucking cousin got beat up. He's gonna go to war over this. Yeah, I uh, think it. Those situations, they try to frame it like it was a misunderstanding. It's water under the bridge. Basically, telling mm, the cousin, no. "Hey, you got your bruised ego, but we're not gonna go to war for you." Yeah, I mean, the boss didn't say anything about a misunderstanding. He said he 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 underlined this. He said he didn't even bring up what happened before. He was sticking to the point. Anything happens to him, I go to war. Man. That was the end of it. Now, the funny thing is when this mob guy was leaving, he was a young man at the time. He's leaving. Sammy's still outside. And Sammy says, hey, you should have killed that cocksucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Um, when it comes to bad guys... I definitely want to make sure that there's something unique about them. And sometimes a bad guy can just be somebody that is just halting your progress, is just an obstacle. This isn't somebody that's out to kill you 
and killing them is not really appropriate. And this is, I know it's the world of cyberpunk, but if you're at a police checkpoint and they say, hey, license and registration, you can kill that cop and maybe the next two or three cops that come and respond to that. But then after that, you know, your chances of survival are really slim. So it's not appropriate sometimes to kill somebody. And that, I like to play the tension on that. It's the players know they're in a dangerous situation. They don't want to be stupid with the the skills that they have. And they want to make sure that they can get out of this without any shots being fired, any suspicion against them, because they have something that they need to go do. This isn't even important to them. So with those interactions, I always make sure that those NPCs have some sort of authority and some sort of reason to be an obstacle for the players. And then I just leave it to the players to try to figure out how to get past it. That sounds good to me. It sounds solid. Yeah. Do you have any examples of situations where you just threw an obstacle at your player in the form of an NPC and how did they deal with it? Um, I put you on the spot. Well, I haven't run a game in a very, very long time. Yeah, you're right. You haven't. Let's see. Who was a bad guy uh, in one of our games with Marcus? You know, it's funny. I remember the allies more than I remember the bad guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. um, There was one guy. What the hell was his name? What about the, uh, the one that when me and you played... Uh, the game that I ran, the demon. What demon? What are you talking? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't think that fits into what you're into what you're talking about right now. You're talking about someone who's a threat, but not a threat to your life. Yeah, exactly. But what I do remember is when you went to go handle the demon, you're in a gated community, and there was security all over the place, and right. that security was that obstacle. Oh uh, well, uh, yeah, I remember exactly what happened. I had my I had my piece, and um, I didn't know that you know cops were gonna roll up, and they did, and they saw me, and you know they checked me for for concealment. And they saw it, and they stopped, and they're wasting my time. And then you had one of uh, your NPCs that I made up, you know, connected to uh, Blood, who was uh, Buzzcut. And Buzzcut did something. He was, like, vandalizing a car. Yeah. So those cops were like, oh, you wait here. And they went, they arrested him. They had to take him in. I was out of there, and I, and I got to work. Yeah. And, we, and then we busted Buzzcut out. Yeah, he basically took the fall for you by doing some, making a distraction and just, you know, getting arrested for it. Yeah, allowing himself to get arrested. Yeah. Solid. The guy's a Marine. Yeah, man, he came through on that, and you ended up coming back and killing the demon. <laughs> yeah, wasted her, wasted her, and wasted her apprentice. Yeah, I was going to... See, that's another thing. I had an idea for the demon. For those of you that are listening, the demon was a handle for a a, a, a Yakuza... Or not a Yakuza, an Arasaka assassin. She was a third party, a Japanese native uh, solo that didn't work technically with Arasaka uh, as as an employee, but she's subcontracted with them all the time. 
and she had a reputation for being a killer. But her thing is she wanted to retire and she wanted to get away from the business. So she told everyone, hey, I'm done. Leave me alone. Don't come after me. They didn't listen because she killed a lot of a lot of people and a lot of big people, too. So she has no shortage of enemies and they just kept sending guy after guy to her and she would just kill them all. Her and this new apprentice that she had. She got a new apprentice that she was teaching the ways and they were basically just defending themselves. So Blood's friend, who was also a fixer, who was it that gave you the job? Oh, it was a corporate guy. Yeah, it was... uh... Fuck was his name. Yeah, I don't remember his name, but he was a corporate guy working for Raven Microcybernetics, was it? Something. He worked, yeah, he worked for some company, and he basically, he needed a big thing to happen for his career. So he said... Oh, yeah, yeah, now I remember that jerk off. Yeah, so basically... And he's he's poised to forget who his friend is. And let me tell you something, John, I know you're going to get... We might get the game going again, and when we do, I know that asshole is going to forget who his friend was, (laughs) and Blood is going to fucking kill him. Well, no, yeah. He's going to get on the phone. He's going to tell the boys there's some killing to do. (laughs) Well, he's already showed. This thinks he's going to be sitting on the the, the 30th floor of that fucking building. I put that cocksucker there. I put him there, and he thinks he's going to sit there and jack off with his fucking thumb up his ass off what I did for him, pocketing $1,000 of the, the fucking money that I made off this like he did some fucking thing outside of sucking his own dick. We're going to kill him. Yeah, <laughs> I remember what happened exactly is he basically took a chance and was like, hey, why don't I take this demon thing that nobody is able to do? And he put wild blood on it. It was a total long shot. If you look at it on paper, it doesn't make any sense. Ex-con booster ganger is going to go and kill the demon. We've sent solos after her and she's killed them all. And this guy's in Fuck no- him. She hasn't dealt with me. That's evidently what happened. And this exec is a nobody too. He's he's a no one. So when he went to his boss and he said, "This is what I'm gonna do," the boss is like, "Yeah, sure, good luck. Do whatever you think you can do." But the guy actually succeeded. And what ended up happening is that boss was like, "Hey, maybe I should look into this. What's his name? Wild Blood. Maybe I should have him come over and have a conversation with him one on one." away from that uh, low-level idiot. And uh, the low-level corporate had no idea that you guys had that conversation. Right, I remember that. Yeah, that's kind of where we left off, too. So maybe we'll need to more, revisit it. More or less, what I do remember is um, it's that low-level corp. He got a big promotion and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And Blood knew. Blood knew this guy is going to forget about me. Oh, yeah, he completely used blood. Didn't even think that blood would would succeed. Did not think that blood would succeed. And if blood died, he wouldn't have cared. That is such a dangerous thing to do. The one guy to actually pull it off, and he's now made enemies with him. I know. Isn't that that is fun? dumb. <laughs> that is fucking dumb. All right, guys, I think that's about it. Uh, let me know if this is something you guys enjoyed. I'm sorry if you guys had any audio issues. I... The whole time I've been trying to fix my audio thing going on. You heard me fine, Arnog, but I think it might have been cutting out while I was talking. But whatever. It's fine. I'll try to figure it out. 
Yeah, I think I fixed because it. Because Blood Blood really came out this time. Exactly, he definitely did. And this he is... really came out this time. It's been a while since I connected with that character like this. I felt that anger. I, I think I got to put a little like disclaimer in the front. Like there will be a little bit of harsh language because you cussed more than I ever do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's great. I love the passion, as always. Uh, so, you know, you guys can imagine this person, this maniac on the other end of the line is who showed me tabletop gaming. So it it's, it was a little colorful, to say the least. <laughs> and I, I still remember a lot of the, a lot of the uh, stuff that we did. I mean, I remember how how I would play not only Wild Blood, but also the NPCs, just this just this dangerous world full of callous people and yeah. they'll make they'll they have uh cal very callous humor gallows humor uh it, it's just a world full of people who are who are quick to anger who are callous about their uh, about other people and it's just a dangerous place um we basically played out training day but it wasn't just denzel washington's character it was the entire police force basically oh no, it wasn't the entire police force. The three, the three people in Northside uh, precinct were Blondie, Benny, and Blueberry. Oh yeah, that's right. They had a, uh, and then there was Strawberry too. No, wasn't there no. a bigger no. boss? No, right, Blondie. Blondie was the big boss. Strawberry is an NPC from. Uh, he's also a cop NPC from the original Cyberpunk 2020 that was made by Talisoria. Gotcha. Blueberry, I base blueberry off strawberry. Gotcha. Go gotcha. Okay, sounds good. All right, Arnog. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me. This is Absolutely. first, the yeah. first of many. I hope so. Yeah, man. Actually, it's not even the first. If you guys go back to my uh, YouTube channel, Arnog and I have been doing this for a while. But, it's been a little while, yeah. But we got you with a good mic, and we're going to be doing this more often, maybe even with some guests in the future. I absolutely look forward to it. All right, guys. Have a wonderful week. Thank you all for supporting. On behalf of Arnog and I, we will see you guys next time. Take care. Bye. Bye, everybody.